0: Good afternoon and welcome to uh, the July 10th, 2023, Major Mondays webinar. Today we're talking about components of a bulletproof consent letter under Section 29.5. And if all goes well, you guys should see me on your screen now. As usual, this is a live question and answer. So feel free to post your questions in the GoToWebinar box uh, and we'll get to them at the conclusion. So uh, just to talk about the written consent requirement first and foremost, So Section 29.5 requires written approval. The burden is on the claimant to get the carrier's consent. This is for their third-party civil settlement. Failure to obtain the carrier's consent before settling results in a waiver of future workers' comp benefits. So it's almost like a free Section 32 if they fail to comply with the requirement under 29.5. Claimant does have some remedies under 29.5 if the carrier will not or did not give consent namely a 295 compromise order or a non pro tunk motion for approval of the settlement. Um, but it's either or. There is no requirement to ask for our consent before a 295 motion. It's at the you know claimant's behest whether they want to file or ask for consent. Most of them ask for consent because otherwise you got to file the motion filing fees and deal with months of litigation. A brief word on New Jersey Section 40, and I know this is sort of the odd man out in this presentation, but I did want to mention it as long as we were on this topic. So Section 40 has no consent requirement. As long as we get reimbursed, what we're supposed to get reimbursed under the statute, they don't need to ask us uh, for our consent. That said, you should always draft a letter anyway. Uh, Many third-party attorneys automatically take off the maximum deductions under Section 40 of one-third for the fee and 750 for expenses of suit, Uh, And that is not always the case. We had a case uh, a few months ago where an attorney did that, and it turned out we were entitled to another $1,000 or so that we got as a credit on the uh, ultimate Section 22 OAS, Order Approving Settlement for those of you in New York. So um, do not let them do the math for you. This is why we always get a closing statement. We put it all in writing. There's often a dispute as to future credit and offset rights as well. So a written memorialization avoids any confusion and gives you something to point to if there is a reopener, which could happen two years after the last payment of PPD. So you could be looking five years down the road and it's nice to have a writing that says, if you come back, you're getting benefits at the one third rate. So let's do some ground rules first. So. It is just a settlement contract, the Section 29.5 consent. It is not a board form. Um, That may just sound like legal speak for the sake of legal speak, but here's where I'm going with this. You can agree to whatever the heck you want in a settlement contract. Whatever reasonable terms that the parties enter into are legally enforceable. So you can get as creative with these as you want to get. For instance, uh, say that you're doing a global settlement where you're waiving the lien Uh, in exchange for a section 32. And claimants counsel is up in arms because there's no money moving for the section 32 settlement. So they're not gonna get their attorney's fee on the settlement. Okay, so get creative with the numbers. How about uh, we pay an additional $10,000 in fresh money uh, as part of the section 32 settlement that in the consent agreement, the claimant agrees to reimburse dollar for dollar when they get the third party settlement proceeds. You're just moving money from point A to point B. You know paying ten thousand upfront, up front but then the claimant agrees to pay it back as soon as they get the money from the defendants you know you're just shifting numbers around but they get a fee and it's totally legally enforceable um you know another example is uh you know say um there's not adequate reimbursement uh, around for the carrier the third party settlement is not large enough but there's a pending uim claim and you know the claimant wants to get some money today because they're hard up for cash but the UIM case is you know, years away from settling. Well, we would have a lien because the settlement isn't big enough on the third party action. We would get everything after their attorney's fees and costs, but why not use that as an opportunity to get creative and say, you know, okay, you can have the entirety of the third party settlement, we're not gonna be greedy pigs, comma, in exchange for you agreeing in the consent agreement, to give us reimbursement rights on your ultimate UIM recovery, where the policy limit is a million dollars, you know, instead of the twenty-five thousand dollar minimum, um, you know. And then we do not have rights on UIM recoveries in New York. But again, it's just a settlement contract. You can agree to whatever you want. So you can usually, you can sometimes get creative with the third-party settlement. You know, put off the present reimbursement for a bigger payday later on. So I just want you guys to keep that in mind that all this is is a settlement contract. You know, There's no required language other than to expressly reserve future offset rights. We're gonna talk about that. So do whatever the heck you want as long as it works for your case. You know, Treat these as a creative, living, breathing document that you can tinker with as needed to suit your case. Uh, point two, uh, it's referred to colloquially as a consent letter. You'll You'll, you'll hear everyone call it a consent letter Um, And I called it a consent letter for the purposes of this presentation, but it should be an agreement. And by that, I mean there should be signatures on behalf of the carrier, the claimant, and third-party counsel, and claimant's counsel if it's a global settlement. Um, Get a proposed closing statement or, at minimum, an itemized breakdown from third-party counsel first. Uh, If they tell you my settlement is confidential, I can't give that to you, okay, then just tell me what the numbers are. Uh, Otherwise, I can't do the calculation under Kelly, and I'm sure as hell not gonna take your word for it. Um, So their only other option, and we're gonna talk about this, is to file for approval of the settlement under Section 29.5, so spoiler alert, most of them are gonna cave and just give you the numbers. Uh, Hammer out the terms in advance. Hey, we calculate our reimbursement to be X. Uh, Future offset rights will be Y. Do you agree? Yes, okay, great, let's put it in a letter. Uh, And finally, always remember that you are holding all the cards. Why are we holding all the cards? Well, uh, the claimant basically needs our consent no matter what, why? Consent is required whenever settlement is less than the benefits provided by the workers' comp law, and any settlement is potentially less because comp benefits are theoretically infinite. Um, so the requirement for our consent applies in basically every context. Denied case, we haven't paid a dime yet. Consent required to settle the third-party action? You betcha. Uh, what about a settlement for 100% of the policy limits? Claimant can't possibly do any better in their third-party settlement. So why would they need our input on it? Consent required? Absolutely. Haven't paid anything yet. Uh, we have no lien. Do they need our consent? Yes. Uh, no-fault carve-out, the 50K carve-out under the no-fault law uh, in Section 291A means I'm not getting any reimbursement from the settlement. Do they still need our consent? I'll bet you guys see where this is going. Yes. Um, so, claimant's alternative is a 29.5 motion at the finish line of the case. So, if you play the tape through on this one, no attorney is going to prosecute a case for two or three years and you know be within inches of their $100,000 attorney's fee, uh, and then give you guff when you say, you know, no, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to compromise the lien amount or I want to include X, Y, Z terms in the consent. Their only alternative is to start litigating uh to file the rji and to pay the motion fee and god knows when they'll get a hearing on it and we have the opportunity to submit a responding affidavit so none of them are going to do this um that's why you're holding all the cards this consent requirement is pretty powerful All right, I'm going to go through these one by one Um, components of a good consent letter, and uh, I am not saying that you need absolutely all of this. I'm saying that if you said, hey, Mr. Major, here's a subrogation referral, please draft me a consent. This is what I would have in there. So um, state what it is at the outset. What do I mean by that? This is a consent to settlement pursuant to Section 29.5 of the workers comp law. Beautiful. Everyone knows why we're here. Uh, Set forth the lien. As of such and such date, the lien is X comprised of Y in indemnity and Z in medical benefits. Uh, Please note that the lien is subject to change. Non-admission of liability. Nothing contained herein is to be construed as an admission of liability for the payment of workers' comp benefits. I'm sure you can tell I write these lines pretty frequently. Um, An integration, or you might have heard it as a merger or entire agreement clause uh this agreement represents the final uh agreement of the parties and cannot be contradicted by any prior writing uh and cannot be modified except in writing subscribed to by all parties why why would we include this to avoid an argument later on that hey you're saying this in the consent but uh your carrier agreed in this email that nobody knew about until just this second uh and that we never told you about as a third party attorney uh, they agreed to a blanket lien waiver. Okay, I don't care. Uh, the, this agreement is the final writing between all parties. You cannot, once it's signed and signed off on by everyone, you cannot produce an email or claim there was a phone call from months ago that changes the terms in any way. Um, Third-party settlement breakdown. The gross settlement uh, is $100,000. Your attorney's fee is one-third or $33,000. Uh, your costs and disbursements are $1,500, giving rise to a total cost of litigation of uh, $34,500, I think, in the example I just gave. You know, breakdown, uh, what the gross settlement is, the attorney's fee, costs and disbursements, net to claimant pre lean reimbursement. Discuss the interplay with the no-fault carve-out in a motor vehicle accident case. Uh, For instance, this is a motor vehicle accident case. uh, Therefore, there's a $50,000 offset to the carrier's lien for amounts paid in lieu of first-party benefits. Therefore, the enforceable lien as of the date of this consent is, you know, whatever we've paid in excess of $50,000. Note: If you haven't paid in excess of $50,000, that does not necessarily mean you are not entitled to reimbursement. You are not entitled to reimbursement on amounts paid in lieu of first party benefits. So uh, if you paid indemnity more than 2K per month or more than three years after the date of accident and you haven't paid over 50K yet, you have a Section 29 lien on that indemnity. So that's why I'm phrasing this as, you know, discuss the interplay with the no fault carve out, not be sure to deduct $50,000 from your lien. Because believe it or not, there's nothing that says you have to do that. Uh, there is no requirement under the No Fault Law or 291A to subtract fifty thousand from your lien. All it says is we do not have a lien on amounts paid in lieu of first-party benefits, which typically plays out as fifty thousand coming off the lien. Uh, calculation of cost of litigation percentage per Kelly versus State Insurance Fund: attorneys' fee plus costs and disbursements over gross settlement equals cost of litigation percentage. Terms of global settlement, and if applicable, the carrier has agreed to waive its lien reimbursement in exchange for the claimant's agreement to proceed with the full and final Section 32 settlement. Uh, the lien waiver shall be released by third-party counsel upon the filing of a notice of approval by the Workers' Compensation Board of the Section 32 settlement. Uh, if the 32 settlement is not approved, the lien reimbursement shall be issued to the carrier in accordance with the below payment instructions, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera uh express reservation of credit and offset rights and explicit statement of how they will be applied and when by the way if any of this is sounding like a little theoretical and i'm going a little fast uh i am going to have some you know practical language examples in this slide because i do want it or in this presentation i do want it to be useful so just stick with me for the time being uh explicit payment instructions check should be made payable to This entity, uh, referencing claim number, you know, whatever, and sent to the below address, you know, including the P.O. box. Um, Contingent revocation, if terms are not complied with, you know, the carrier's consent to settlement is expressly contingent upon claimant's adherence to all terms and conditions set forth herein. And claimant's failure to do so shall constitute a violation to 29.5 such that claimant has waived the right to future benefits, et cetera uh consideration of medicare's interests uh this one is just to cover our butts in case there's uh you know a potential involvement of medicare in the settlement this is the claimant signing off on and saying you know hey in the third party settlement it's actually our problem to consider medicare's interests so we have done so and you don't need to worry about a carrier uh requirement for the final closing statement that they file with the office of court administration And signature and notarization. Again, I want the claimant's signature notarized. I want a third-party council signature. And if it's a global, I want claimant's workers' comp council signature as well. So uh, here's why it's important to get the consent right. Any ambiguities are construed in favor of the claimant. A failure to explicitly reserve future rights is a waiver of those rights uh sometimes the carrier pays more than their fair share under burns because the consent does not specify again i'm going to show you some language for that uh navigate rights in a motor vehicle accident case what is or is not paid in lieu of first party benefits i talked about that earlier it does nothing in the no fault law says you have to pay 50k before you have a lien uh and we must be clear about any waiver of rights for instance if claimant is waiving burns such that we have a dollar for dollar offset that needs to be in there or else the law applies and the law says Burns applies. Um, So if you reserve dollar for dollar offset and reserve Burns rights and say both parties reserve rights for Burns, Carrier has a dollar for dollar offset, those are two inconsistent terms and the board is going to apply Burns every single time. All right, a word on one of my favorite, favorite, favorite cases, Williams versus Lloyd Gunther Elevator Service. This gives us so much room for creativity. It's a third department decision from 2014. Credit and offset rights begin when specified in the consent agreement. You can apply rights as of the date of issuance of the consent, whether or not everyone has signed off on it. Spoiler alert, I ask for this every single time. Why not start the rights effective immediately? Uh, A lot of times I'll see consent letters that say, um, the carrier's credit and offset rights shall begin as of the date of third party counsel's receipt of the third party settlement proceeds. Why? Uh, I I mean, the lien might change in the interim such that you would have been entitled to more in reimbursement. Uh, So why are you waiting to apply the offset rights when you can do it literally as the date you send the letter? So it avoids changing the reimbursement and uh, possible burns offset rights. The most useful context, the global settlement, we can kind of freeze the lien. uh, And we can halt benefits without a Section 32 the board's jurisdiction is limited to interpreting the consent agreement, even with a directive to continue payments. Uh, And the law is pretty clear on that front. So even if you're under a CCP, if you agree to suspend benefit payments pending a section 32 in a global settlement pursuant to Williams versus Lloyd Gunther elevator service, you're not gonna get penalized for that. Anything else would result in a double recovery to the claimant, uh, and I will defend that position to the death. There are numerous board panel decisions on that exact topic. All right, addressing Kelly, Burns, and Bissell, some of these cases that I've been circling around so far. So Kelly provides a calculation for a reimbursement amount and our future offset percentage. Burns addresses future offset rights absent an agreement to the contrary. And future medical and indemnity are payable at, you'll hear this referred to as the Burns rate. The Burns rate is just the Kelly percentage. Uh, Bissell was a hybrid of Kelly and Burns, future medical is speculative. speculative. Uh, the consent is a contractual agreement, so lay everything out. How is the cost of litigation percentage calculated? Based upon what? We talked about that. How do future offset rights apply? When did they start? What are the claimant's obligations? And I'm going to show you what I mean by that as well. How is the future offset calculated? What is the net to the claimant? How do we protect ourselves if any of the settlement figures change? You know, for instance, they say the settlement is $100,000. And oh, by the way, uh, I know we all signed off on this consent, but You know, we managed to chip off another 5K out of one of the defendants. Uh, Well, that's a problem. That changes the entire calculation under Kelly and our reimbursement amount. So how do you protect yourselves if that goes all wonky? And finally, uh, how is ongoing medical treatment addressed? What about a CCP? We kind of talked about that as well. To Burns or not to Burns. So, what do I mean by this nebulous title? Uh, burns requires that we pay our share of litigation costs moving forward, and it applies absent an agreement to the contrary. There are a few ways to get around it in a consent. Specify exactly when Burns will end once our obligation is satisfied. Again, I'm going to show you kind of what that looks like. Uh, claimant agrees to waive all future Burns rights. That's kind of uncommon. Uh, or we waive a portion of the lien to satisfy our Burns obligation up front such that we have a dollar for dollar offset as of the date of our consent to settlement. Um, again, that has to be agreed to in advance and put in writing. No matter how burns rights are negotiated, they should be spelled out explicitly in the agreement. Example, Claimant agreeing to a dollar for dollar offset and both parties reserving burns will result in the board applying the burns rate. Uh, we talked about that. Expert tip, if the settlement is small and you are asked to compromise the lien, you can try to negotiate a burns waiver in exchange. Yeah, I'll accept less and re, uh, you know, I'll do a third, a third, a third on this 25K settlement um, provided we get dollar for dollar offset rights on the claimant's $8,333. Uh, all right, consent example. So huge caveat here. Uh, you, I'm sure you see that slide at the end of your, every presentation that this is not legal advice. Again, if you're sort of just copying and pasting this stuff verbatim, I can't promise you it's going to be perfect. Um, but, this is just some exemplar language for you guys to incorporate, in your, incorporate into your consents and, you know, put your own sort of flair or flavor or style on them. Um, so, again, you know, don't rely on this verbatim. This is just sort of an instruction. So, the numbers. We have paid $100,000. The third party settlement is, this is the fact pattern, by the way, this is not the language. We have paid $100,000. Third party settlement is uh, $300,000. Attorney's fee is $100,000. Costs are $2,500. It's an MVA case. All right, let's see how the numbers play out in a consent. The carrier's lien is $100,000, comprised of $50K in indemnity and $50K in medical treatment. After the $50,000 no fault offset, the enforceable lien is $50,000. The cost of litigation percentage per Kelly is 34.17%, calculated as $1025 over $300,000. Applying the 34.17% reduction to the $50,000 lien, the carrier's maximum current reimbursement is $32,915. The net to the claimant is therefore $164,585. Future offset rights. this is where we're gonna get a little complicated. Carrier reserves all future credit and offset rights under section 29, three and four on the claimant's net settlement of 164,585. That's why we just spelled it out on the prior slide. And both parties reserve rights for Burns v. Variale, pursuant to matter of Williams versus Lloyd Gunther elevator service, one of my favorite cases. Indemnity and medical benefits shall be reduced to the 34.17% rate. We talked about that. The Burns rate is the Kelly percentage, effective immediately. Benefits may be reduced, notwithstanding any directive by the board uh, for the carrier to continue payments. Pursuant to Bissell versus Town of Amherst, claimant is responsible for paying medical treatment out of pocket at the fee schedule rate and submitting claims for reimbursement to the carrier. The carrier will reimburse 34.17% of the fee schedule rate for treatment bills that are otherwise compensable under the law. I'm not going to reimburse you on everything. If it's inconsistent with the guidelines, the bill is going to be stricken first and foremost. Uh, Claimant must produce the treatment records, invoices and bills, and proof of payment with any request for reimbursement. So when I said earlier we would get to what are the claimant's responsibilities under the contract, this is what I'm talking about. Explicit explicit instructions for how future medical offset is going to be applied and what the claimant has to do to get paid back. Under the law, this is what they're supposed to do. Uh, All right, continuing with the future offset rights. Payments made by the carrier at the burns rate are the carrier's contribution to the claimant's litigation costs and are not a payment of compensation. Payment shall continue at the burns rate. So this is what I was talking about where I say, you know, specify when the dollar for dollar offset rights kick in. Payment shall continue at the burns rate until the carrier satisfies its burns obligation, parentheses. Carrier has contributed claimant's actual litigation costs, comma, after which the offset will be dollar for dollar or until the holiday period is exhausted the net settlement is fully offset, after which deficiency compensation, if any, will be payable at the full rate. All right, other terms and conditions. Just get them all up there. So reimbursement in the amount of 32,915 is to be issued to the carrier per the below instructions within 15 days of council's receipt of the settlement proceeds. Nothing contained herein is to be construed as an admission of liability for the payment of workers' comp benefits. If it's a denied case, you can say, um, the carrier continues to raise and maintain all issues of controversy. It's not necessary, it looks good, and it reinforces the point that you're not accepting the case. Uh, This agreement represents the final and entire expression of the parties with regard to their respective rights under Section 29. Can't be contradicted by a prior writing, can't be modified except in writing signed to by all parties. Uh, Should any of the terms slash conditions set forth herein fail to be complied with, the carrier reserves the right at the carrier's sole discretion to revoke or supplement slash amend its consent to settlement as necessary to protect the carrier's interests. And claimant understands that such revocations shall constitute a violation of Section 29.5, such that claimant will have waived the right to future benefits. Um, So this I do strongly recommend including because there's a lot of board panel decisions that go, that say... uh, you know the carrier's con- contingent revocation was not there or claimant wasn't aware of you know the potential penalty for failing to provide a closing statement timely etc so this is a nice statement that you have to adhere to all of these bullet points and if you don't you violate you violated 29.5 uh other terms and conditions just get them on here because the closing statement is necessary to track the carrier's credit and offset rights Claimant agrees that the final closing statement filed with the New York State Unified Court System Office of Court Administration. Side note: um, the plaintiffs' attorneys are required to file that, so it does exist uh, when they can conclude their cases. Uh, shall be provided to the carrier within 90 days of this consent. As an aside, I have seen this been a, be a basis in board panel decisions uh, for a 295 violation. You know, they won't send us the closing statement until six months later, and we'll say well, how do we know, you know, we we would have been able to apply the credit this whole time, but you never confirmed the exact credit amount. And the board panel has said that a failure to provide it within a failure to provide the final closing statement within the time specified in the consent is a 29 five violation. So again, that's why you want that language in there warning them. If you don't give this to us within 90 days, it's a 29 five violation. Uh, this document represents the carrier's consent to the third-party settlement. Remember I said, say what the document is at the beginning. Uh, by affixing their signature to this agreement, claimant and third-party counsel acknowledge and affirm that they have considered Medicare's interests, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, I have other language for that particular blurb. Um, signature lines for third... Finally, it concludes with signature lines for third-party counsel and the claimant, a notarization block for the claimant as well. We countersign it once it's signed by everyone else. I want them to sign off on it first. Uh, and we include a signature line for workers' comp counsel if it's a global settlement with a section 32, because now they're an interested party with an attorney's fee. Some brief other consent issues. I know I've been, uh, ooh, geez, I've been ranting for 25 minutes. Okay, let's, let's wrap this up. Uh, so consent may be implied if the workers' comp carrier is the same as the third-party liability carrier, it depends on the facts and board findings. Again, this is why you wanna be explicit about what document is your consent. And I would sign off on every single email with this correspondence is not a consent to settlement. Uh, Courts have previously held that oral consent can be found based on the facts, but recent decisions make clear that formal written consent is almost always required. Uh, And the requirement for our consent, and this is kind of important, includes voluntary abandonment or discontinuance of the third party action. So if you see um, that they decided that there wasn't a viable cause of action against one of the defendants, and they discontinued the case against them. That's somewhat problematic, and I would argue the 29-5 violation, and let the board panel tell you it doesn't apply. It's a good-faith argument to make. Uh, Or if they discontinue the case in chief, they've reached a settlement agreement at mediation, nobody told you about it, and they just discontinued the case uh, with prejudice, And now let's say you're not satisfied with the reimbursement amount and you would have had subrogation rights under section 292. but now the defendants just got off scot-free and nobody asked you if it was okay. So um, keep in mind that if you see a stipulation of discontinuance, particularly with prejudice in uh, the third party action case docket, that's problematic. Someone should have gotten your consent before that happened. Uh, All right, best practices, we'll hammer through these. Ask for a proposed closing statement. We talked about why. Uh, state the most current lien total, lay out your Kelly math, calculate the net to the claimant and lay out future offset rights. Specify precisely how those future credit and offset rights are to be applied and when they begin. Again, my favorite is as the issuance of consent every single time, earliest possible date. Uh, Address no fault law if applicable, include uh, instruction for reimbursement, where they send the check, how many days they have to send it after they get the check from the defendant's carrier, uh, who it's made payable to, uh, if it needs to reference the claim number, where it should be sent, et cetera. Uh, reserve all rights. We talked about some additional language to add outside of the math. Uh, make sure burns is addressed, set if it's, whether it's satisfied already, waived by the claimant, being satisfied with a partial lien waiver, uh, or when the obligation will be satisfied. Uh, Include a requirement that the final closing statement filed with the Office of Court Administration be produced within a specified time period. I find 90 days to be highly fair, unless it's a very complex case, such as one involving a governmental entity where, or, you know, one involving a uh, deceased claimant where you might need surrogate court approval and, you know, uh, special needs trust, uh, you know, unless it's an extraordinarily complicated case, 90 days is fair in my opinion. Uh, include contingent revocation and/or right to modify should the final settlement figures differ, or should terms or conditions fail to be comp- or fail to be complied with? Not be complied with is what I wrote on the slide there. All right, so that was a lot of rambling. We're at almost at uh, almost at a half hour exactly. So let's see if we got any questions before we sign off until next month. Uh, if I'm doing this correctly it does not appear that there are any questions so as always thank you so much guys for joining i hope to see you next month Uh, and uh yeah make those consents bulletproof thanks again